Well, once I heard uh, someone say that the worst thing imaginable would be if the whole world knew everything about you. So if the whole world knew your mistakes, your insecurities, your thoughts, your, your secrets, they were saying that if the whole world knew everything about you, it would be one of the most terrifying things. But then they also said that it would be the greatest thing, the best thing, if the whole world knew everything about you, your mistakes, your, your insecurities, your thoughts, your secrets. Because if everyone knew everything about you, then you could be fee free from that fear of being found out. You could be free from hiding. You could be free from shame. Think about that. What if everybody in this world knew everything about you? And I mean everything, the good stuff, but also the bad stuff. It could be terrifying, but it could also be very freeing because all those things that bring us shame, all those things we hide would be known. Well, a few weeks ago, I started a, a, a sermon series on uh, loving God with all your mind, coming from the, the first and greatest commandment, uh, uh, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And last week, we looked at uh, Psalm 42, which talked about feeling down or, or feeling depressed. Uh, before that, I preached about the origins of shame. So we looked at Genesis chapter 3 when sin came into the world and Adam and Eve tried uh, uh, to hide from God. But it, we saw in Genesis 2, it said before sin came into the world, they were naked and they were unashamed. It was after they sinned that they realized that they were naked. It, it was when then they realized that they were ashamed. So what did they do? They did what we do, right? They tried to cover themselves up. They tried to hide from God. And we saw that in Genesis 3, not only did sin enter the world, but shame entered the world as well. So that sermon was about the origins of shame, how shame came into the world. But today I want to preach about how we can overcome shame through the gospel of Jesus Christ, who took our sin and took our shame on the cross. So in this first half of the sermon, we're going to look at what the Bible says. And then in the second half of the sermon, I want to share with you how I have experienced uh, this truth in my own life. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 4. This morning we're going to consider uh, Jesus' meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again, departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So this is the, at the beginning of Jesus' min ministry. This is uh, early in his ministry. He decides to leave Judea and travel north. And verse 4 uh, tells us that he had to pass through the region of Samaria. Now back then, Israel and Samaria, they didn't 
like each other very much. In fact, they had uh, quite different religions. They were both very territorial. In fact, some of the Jewish people would often travel many kilometers to go around and avoid Samaria. But we see here in this story that Jesus didn't avoid Samaria. Verse 4 says he went through it. And he comes to this field where there is a well. It's called Jacob's Well. Jesus had been traveling. It says he's tired. No doubt he's thirsty. He sits at this well. Verse 7. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So here we meet, and Jesus meets this Samaritan woman at the well. She comes to the well to get some water, and we see that she comes alone. Now back then, typically women would go to the well in groups, uh, and usually they would either go early in the day or late in the day when the sun wasn't so strong. But we see here this woman comes in the middle of the day when the sun is strongest, and she comes alone. This perhaps tells us a little bit about her social status at the time. It seems like maybe she didn't have very many friends. Uh, and as we'll see in a moment, perhaps some of the choices she made in her life made her an outcast and made her feel isolated. Anyway, she meets Jesus at the well. Jesus asks her for a drink, and this shocks the woman. Because as the text says, Jews and Samaritans did not mix because of their history, because of their differences. But we also know from the Gospels that Jesus broke down many of the traditions and customs of the time. Most Jewish people would have avoided this uh, Samaritan woman, but Jesus comes to her, he asks her for water, and they begin to talk. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it uh, himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become uh, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So just like this, well, Jesus is now taking the conversation deeper. He starts to speak in, in metaphors to this woman. And he tells her that if she knew who he was, she would be the one asking him for water. But not just any water. Jesus talks about living water. And with this metaphor, he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in a new believer. Jesus is talking about salvation, a, a new life, a fresh start. Jesus is speaking uh, metaphorically, but we see here that the woman is understanding him quite literally. She says, Jesus, there's, you don't have anything to, to take the water out. And Jesus, are you claiming to be better than Jacob from the Old Testament who had enough water to give everyone? 
But Jesus says, look, physical water is not the point. Because even if someone drinks physical water today, tomorrow, they will be thirsty yet again. But Jesus says the living water that he offers will satisfy people forever. And what he means is, is if they drink from this water, if they receive him as Lord, then they will have eternal life. It reminds us of the, the words of the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament who said, Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters that your soul may live. Of course, the woman, still understanding Jesus, literally says, please give me this water so I'll never be thirsty again, so I don't have to come to this well again. And at this point, it's clear she still doesn't know who she's talking to. She still doesn't know what Jesus is offering. So Jesus explains further. Verse 16, he said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So Jesus wasn't understanding, or the woman wasn't understanding what Jesus was offering yet, so Jesus changes the subject a bit and gets more personal. He's trying to help her understand what living water actually is. So he tells her to, to go call her husband. But this woman says she doesn't have a husband. Now, if Jesus was not all-knowing, then the conversation would have just stopped right there. And it's likely that the woman actually wanted the conversation to stop right there. But Jesus knows her story. And he graciously tells her that he knows her history. While it was technically true that she did not have a husband. We see here that the woman had had five husbands as well as a, another man that she was seeing now. So likely the five previous husbands, they'd either died or they'd been uh, divorced from this woman. And now it's apparent she's likely uh, living with this other man, which means that she was likely having sex with this man outside of marriage, outside of a covenant relationship between a husband and wife before God. The Bible teaches us that sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of a marriage relationship between a husband and wife. So with only one question, Jesus gets straight to the point with this woman. But we see here that Jesus does this in a gentle way. This woman was engaged in sexual immorality. She had a history of many husbands. Probably she didn't have the best reputation in town, which maybe explains why she was alone at the well. And I'm sure in that moment with Jesus, she felt totally exposed, totally naked. Jesus was exposing her sin and her shame, and it was a moment of complete honesty. And I have to think it was a terrifying moment for her in her mind, for her life to be exposed like that, for her everything to be known about this woman. You know, I think we can all sympathize with this woman. We've all done things that we're not proud of. We've all done things that we would like to forget. Maybe there's things in our lives that we've never told anyone else before. And sometimes when we talk to other people about our lives, we know how to edit out the parts that we don't want other people to know about, or we edit out the parts about which we are ashamed. So we 
can kind of present our lives in such a way that can make us look good or at least make us not look so bad. This woman told Jesus she didn't have a husband, which was technically true, but it wasn't the whole truth, was it? In the same way, we can tell people parts about our lives or even what's going on in our lives that are technically true, but not the whole truth. But while we can edit our lives and fool other people, the truth is we cannot fool God. God knows everything. God sees everything. He knows everything we've ever done. He knows everything you're doing now. He knows everything you will do in the future. He knows your thoughts. He knows the sins that you struggle with. He knows the things that you're trying to hide from other people. He knows everything. In other words, we cannot hide from God. He knows all and he sees all. And yet, somehow, despite knowing everything about us, despite knowing everything about this woman at the well, he offers you, he offers me, he offers her living water. He offers us eternal life. He invites you in to a relationship with the living God. You know, when our sin is exposed, shame is usually the next feeling that comes. And yet the God of the universe who knows everything we've ever done, sees what we've done, and invites you to follow him. And by his grace, you can be saved. You can be set free. You can be born again. That is the living water Jesus offered this woman, and that is the living water he offers each one of you today. Look at verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is, is, is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The woman at this point obviously knows she's not talking to any ordinary man. She doesn't know it's Jesus yet, but she knows he must be some kind of prophet. And she talks about the cultural differences that still separate her from Jesus. She talks about this divided kingdom. Her people uh, worshipped uh, at one mountain, which was where the Samaritan people worshipped, while the, the true place of worship for the Jews was Jerusalem, uh, which they claim was the true place of worship. But Jesus says to her, the moment is coming when it doesn't matter where you worship. It doesn't matter the location where you worship. What matters to God is your heart. The hour is coming, Jesus says, when those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, it's not about location. It's not about which mountain you're on or which nation's capital you're in. What matters to the Lord is your heart. And true worship comes from knowing the truth. 
Verse 24 says that God is spirit. God the Father is not physical. He does not have a body, but he is spirit, and he is present everywhere. And the worshipers who he seeks are those who worship him from his heart, from their hearts. You know, as we gather here every week to worship the Lord, we're coming to the Lord with our hearts. It's our hearts he wants. It's your devotion that he wants. And we can worship the Lord in spirit and in truth because he has given us the truth through the Holy Spirit and his word. You know, in this story, we see the progression of this woman's understanding of who Jesus is. In the beginning of the story, he's a stranger. Then she recognizes that he's Jewish. Then she calls him a prophet. Now she's talking about the Messiah and the Christ. And Jesus says to her that he indeed is the Messiah. He's the Christ. And he can offer her living water because he is God in the flesh. Verse 27. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So the disciples come back from wherever they are and they're amazed. Jesus is talking to a woman, but they know better to say anything. As I said, Jesus was breaking many of the tradition and cultural barriers of that time. But the woman, she leaves the well, she goes back to her town, and what is it that she told everybody? What was her message? She said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Isn't it interesting that that was her main message? This was the same woman a few minutes ago who was editing her life story, who was trying to leave out the, the, the messy details, who likely was uh, an outcast in society because of her actions. But she runs back and tells everyone, come and see the man who told me everything about her life. You know, the scariest thing is to be known fully, but also the best thing is to be known fully. For to be known is to be free. And we see that this woman, after meeting Jesus, was free. The shame was gone. The isolation was gone. She was going back and being around people again. She was so excited, it says in the text, that she left her water jar at the well. Of course, we know she left with water too, just living water. But she was free, finally. Let me offer a couple reflections on this task and text and then just talk about it in terms of my own life. The first step towards overcoming sin and shame in our lives is to confess your sin or confess your shame to God. I want to differentiate sin and, and shame here. Sin is when we disobey or rebel against God. Sin separates us from God. Shame, on the other hand, can be a result of our sin, but Shame can also come from something someone else does to us, right? Most times they're related, but sometimes they're not, especially if someone is a victim of some kind of trauma or abuse. 
But I think we overcome sin and shame in the same way. First, we confess it to God. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me tell you today, no matter what you've done, no, how, no matter how much shame you're experiencing today, God is faithful and just and can make you clean in this instant. The woman at the well didn't, you know, want to confess everything at first. Jesus kind of had to pull it out of her, but eventually she did. We overcome sin and shame by being honest with the Lord, by repenting and trusting him as Savior. Look at these verses with me. Romans chapter 10, verse 11, everyone who believes in him, that is Jesus, will not be put to shame. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, which, which Maya referenced earlier, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then he has washed away your sins. He has forgiven you. He has cleansed you. You will not be put to shame. You are not under condemnation today. You are under grace. Shame isn't from the spirit. It's from the flesh. Step one is confessing our sin and shame to God. Step two is confessing your sin or shame to one another. You know, God uses his people to help us experience freedom from sin, freedom from shame. As I said earlier, one of the riskiest things, scariest things is to open yourself up to let yourself be known. But one of the greatest things is to open yourself up and let yourself be known. Look at me at James chapter 5, verse 16. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Interesting language, right? We confess our sins to Jesus, First John says, to be forgiven. But James says we confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. Think about that. The way out of shame is by putting our darkness into the light. By telling trusted brothers and sisters in Christ what we've been through. And when we do that, the Bible says we can experience healing from the shame that once bound us. We overcome shame by being known and knowing others. This is why the woman ran back to her people and said, he told me everything I ever did. She was free. She was known. She didn't have to edit herself anymore. She didn't have to tell half-truths anymore. But I've said before, it would be great if we all had the testimony of the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul's testimony was uh, he did bad things, he met Jesus, now he does good things, right? Even though Paul did horrible things before becoming a Christian, including persecuting the early church, killing Christians, we can look back and say, oh, but he wasn't a believer yet, right? So once he became a believer, then he did good things. We can kind of give him a pass. And many times when people give their stories or testimonies, it's in this format, I did bad things, I followed Jesus, now I do good things. 
you know, it's kind of neat and tidy and, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with having a testimony like the Apostle Paul. But I think for others of us, including myself, I relate more to the testimony of King David from the Old Testament. If you don't know King David, he was the shepherd boy who defeated the giant Goliath. He was God's anointed king of Israel. Uh, uh, God promised David that he would make David's name great. He would have an everlasting kingdom. This was ultimately fulfilled through Jesus Christ. But one day, when King David should have been at war, he notices Bathsheba on the rooftop taking a bath. She was already married, but David didn't care. He brings Bathsheba to him. He, he sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. David makes the situation worse by sending Bathsheba's son uh, Uriah to the front lines of the war where he's ultimately killed. And we have to remember that this is King's da King David, right? This, this stuff didn't happen before he was king. This happened while he was king. Before, God had said that David was a man after his own heart. But now he's involved in all of this stuff with, with Bathsheba. This is the guy who God promised would have an everlasting kingdom. David's story is not neat. <laughs> it's not tidy. It's messy. You know, eventually King David did repent of his sin. In Psalm 51, he confesses his sin to God. He says, have mercy on me, Lord. God forgave David, and he continued to use him for his purposes. So the King David version would actually be, I loved God, I did some bad things, but God restored me, and now he's using me again. Not only does God forgive us, not only does God restore us, but through Jesus Christ, God can use you to do mighty things. Let me ask you this. If God could forgive King David for what he did and still use him, could he not also forgive and use you? You know, I'll admit the Apostle Paul testimony would be easier to sit here and say, but the King David version is just as powerful because our stories aren't about what we have done. It's about Christ in us, the hope of glory. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward and, and lead us in the song of response to, to God's word. And as we sing, we're going to have a time of invitation. If, if God is working on your heart this morning, we want to help you. We want to pray for you. This is an opportunity to respond to what the Holy Spirit is, is leading you to do. You know, maybe this morning you realize that you don't have a, a testimony yet, that you haven't followed Jesus this morning, if God is, is moving you to turn from your sins, to trust Jesus Christ as Lord, I invite you to come forward. I'll be up here. Jerry will be up here. We'd love to pray with you to tell you how to become a Christian. You know, or perhaps you are dealing and struggling with shame today. Maybe it's from something that happened recently. Maybe it's something that happened a long, long time ago, and you haven't shared that with anyone. Maybe you've just been keeping it in or, or hiding it in. The way to be free from that shame is to expose that shame. Confess your sin and shame to one another so that you may be healed. The Lord doesn't want you to carry that shame for one more year, one more month, one more day, one more minute. You've heard my story. I would love to hear yours. 
However God is leading you this morning, this is a time for you to respond. I'll be up here in the front. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, you know our hearts. You know our pasts. You know our struggles. God, you know the things that we carry. God, we confess that sometimes we hold on to things that you desire for us to give to you. Lord, help us to understand that our identity is not rooted in the things that we have done in the past, but our identity is rooted and found in Christ who paid for our sins once and for all. We are your children bought with a price. We are redeemed. We are set free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Let this truth go and sink deep into our souls. Lord, break the chains of shame that bind us and let us walk in the freedom, God, of your love and grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.